Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephen Long. Welcome to The X Factor, the podcast for leaders by leaders. Today, I have a special guest. Uh, his name is Bubba Cunningham. He's the athletic director at the University of North Carolina. Hi, Bubba. How are you today? Great, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Well, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Okay. Well, as mentioned, I'm Bubba Cunningham, director of athletics at the uh, University of North Carolina. And uh, it's absolutely been a fantastic place to work. Uh, I've been at Carolina for 10 years. Uh, prior to that, I was at uh, the University of Tulsa for six. Prior to that, I was at uh, Ball State for three. And then prior to that, I was at uh, Notre Dame for about 15. And uh, while I was there, I was in the uh, Alumni Association for three years and then switched over to the athletic department. And, uh, and I think that's really fundamentally where I learned about uh, one, how much, how much passion I had for, for intercollegiate athletics and really the role that intercollegiate athletics plays at a university. And um, it, it just, I think it is a, a great place for, um, for the university to spend some time. I think it's a great place for athletic directors to spend time in the alumni association. Because when you're in the alumni association, you see how broad the university is. You see all the different areas that impact a student, whether it's uh, research, sports, art, theater, uh, architecture, whatever the, the um, academic background or discipline is, all of those are reflected in the alumni. And all of those alumni are passionate about their educational experience. And so then how does athletics fit in and how does athletics support that educational mission? And, and that's what I think has been so valuable in my career is having the background with alumni because it really, it gave me the foundation of the mission of intercollegiate athletics that I used at uh, both Ball State and at Tulsa, which is the mission of intercollegiate athletics is to enhance the educational experience of all the students. Uh, we didn't generate enough money at Ball State or Tulsa to support our program. So we were supported heavily by the university. And I said, well, it doesn't make any sense that uh, they support us if we're not enhancing that educational experience. And so that's really the, the foundation of how I try to run our department here at Carolina. And I, and I just think that the opportunities for kids to go to college, get a scholarship and participate in a sport they love while they're getting that education is fundamentally what we do. So in those four schools I mentioned, I've got, there's two private, there's two public. There's two national, there's two regional, but fundamentally they're the exact same. They're providing those educational opportunities through scholarships. And I really value the athletic scholarship. The, um, we have over $3 billion in financial aid every year in the NCAA scholarships. Over 500,000 students participate in the program. You know, other than the GI Bill, I don't think there's a better scholarship program in the country that has served more kids and more families. In fact, I'm, uh, my dad went to school on a GI Bill, and he enlisted in the Korean War so that he would have an opportunity to get out of the, basically, the poverty situation that he and his family were in. And so he enlisted, he joined the Marines, and then finished college on the, went to college on the GI Bill. And so as we were growing up, he told all of us, the most important gift I can give any of you is education. And uh, he allowed us to go to any school we wanted to. He became an elementary school principal. My mother taught. So education has been deeply rooted into to who I am. He was also an athlete. And so we all participated in sports and were very active in sports. And so I think that combination is what led me into intercollegiate athletics. 
And um, I'm so lucky to be at Carolina because I think we do a great job of balancing those educational and athletic opportunities, allow kids to pursue professional ambition, either in sport or out of sport. Um, and, and so I'm very fortunate to have, have been in college athletics this long at some great places. You know, uh, my father is also, uh, he went to college on the GI Bill as well. And it's just a tremendous benefit uh, that, that he passed down to me. And uh, I'm a beneficiary of the student athlete experience at the University of Delaware. And actually at the University of Delaware at that time, uh, it was called the College of Physical Education, Recreation and Athletics. And it's not that way anymore. And uh, and most athletic departments are, uh, are, are not like that. But everywhere I've been uh, is that the athletic department does try to enhance the educational experience for their student athletes, is that they're supporting the educational mission of the university, but they're also providing uh, just a tremendous uh, experience through athletics that enhances the educational experience, but also giving them, uh, you know, some life skills that they may not, you know, that they really can't learn in the classroom. So uh, I just think that whenever anybody has that opportunity uh, to participate, uh, I think uh, I think it's just a, 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 one of the best things uh, that a person could have. Because it's yeah. just because uh, the, the bottom line is is that we get old, Bubba, <laughs> yeah. and, and and you can only you can only do it for a short amount of time. Well, that, and that's the interesting thing about college sports today. You know, I, I don't have any problem. I, I I don't like one and done. I don't like kids leaving early before the education. But their athletic career is in a pretty finite window with that physical ability. What we need to really teach kids is that your ability to learn to grow is lifelong. So, okay, if you want to go pro, do it, go play, but let's make sure you have the opportunity to come back and finish the degree. Because even if you have an incredible career, you're probably going to have 50 years beyond your playing career where you're going to need to do something and do something that is productive. So I, I it's a tough balance at times, but uh, I do think it's really important. So by the yeah. way, did, did you play for Tubby Raymond? I did. I, I, and I also coached for him. Did you really? You yes. know, he's from Flint where I was born and my ah. parents, they knew Tubby before he left Flint to go to Delaware. No kidding. No yep. kidding. And so I, the very, when uh, we played, our women's basketball team played at Delaware in Elena Deladon's last game and I'd never met him. I went into the stands to meet him. So I got to meet him before he died. What, what a terrific guy. What an incredible leader yeah. he was. Well, I got to tell you, he, he was a great leader, but first and foremost, he was a great teacher. And, you know, when I, you know, when I was in the program, I knew I was being coached very well. I was being coached very well. I could see that the team was being coached very well and very well prepared just through an educational approach. Uh, and then when I was asked to come back, I was asked to come back coach twice, one for the freshman team and then uh, once with the varsity team as, their, as the receivers coach is that it was all educationally bound, right? If, it, if there wasn't, you know, because we, we were so educationally oriented that we, you know, we had our meetings and they were on the field by five or four, we were off the field by five or six, right? So, you know, so the players could get there and then, you know, and then do their homework. Everything was so structured that way. 
But within the practice, there was so much repetition of individual skills. That's really what was the basis of the success of the Delaware football program that you know, had so much success. He was a tremendous, tremendous teacher. And, I, and, and it, influ- you know, it had a tremendous influence on me. Uh, even what I'm doing now is that people see me as a psychologist, but I'm an educational psychologist. And I'm, I, well, I don't see myself as doing anything different than what I did when I was a football coach. Right? All I'm doing is providing uh, tools and strategies to build skill sets. And when those skill sets are, are, are mastered, they, then they become behaviors. And when those behaviors are rewarded and repeated often enough, now we have new, new habits. And that's the benefit. Uh, that I saw in, 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 in athletics is that you learn how to build effective habits, not only physically, but also psychologically. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the best things we've done in the last 10 to 15 years, I think in college athletics is intentionally talking about that, the, intentionally talking about the skills that they, we teach on the field or in the gym or wherever those are skills that are transferable to life. So what you do is you practice, you prepare, you train, you, you compete, and then you go back and you evaluate. And so those, they, you know, we talk about that. So when you're finished playing, you're coachable. You're somebody that doesn't wilt when somebody criticizes you or, or tries to correct you and say, hey, this is a better way to do it. Fine. Okay. My coach used to do that all the time. You're not afraid of analysis. You're not afraid of losing because you know, okay, that's another step toward a success because I will figure out, okay, what did I do wrong? How do I make that better? And I think we got more intentional with that. So I think in back in the beginning when the, the teachers really were coming out of PE departments and things like that, it was just second nature to them. And I think we kind of lost our way for a while. And now I think we're coming back to that because our coaches here at Carolina truly believe first and foremost, they're educators. They are teachers and they do a terrific job of doing that with leading our, our student athletes here. Well, so don't let me ask you. So what, what do you think is the best aspect of being a leader? Of being here? Of, of being a leader. Oh, of being a leader. The best aspect is you have an opportunity to influence kids and to provide opportunities for them to grow and to develop. And I think is what we're again finding out is we're trying to meet kids where they are. And I do think traditionally as as you and I were growing up, the coach said X, you did X. There's much more interaction between the coach and the student now. Some of it for good, some of it not so good. I mean, you'd like him to just say, hey, fall in line, but you know, that's not today's environment. And so you want to have that interaction. You want to have that communication. And this past year has been extraordinarily hard for both the students and the coaches because we've been separated. And so any other time there's been a major crisis in the world, everybody comes together to solve the problem or to, 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 to do things together. This is one where we had the major problem. We said, all right, no, everybody stay apart. We need to be physically distanced. We need to be socially distanced. We need to, to make sure we wear a mask. Well, all the things that we normally do in a crisis, we couldn't do. But I, what that led to are things like this, the podcasts, we're doing Zooms, we're doing communication in a different method. And I think that has been a real growing opportunity for a lot of us. The other thing that's come out of this, I think a lot of our programs have, with the social issues, the racial issues, have really started more book clubs. I think there's more reading, there's more communication on really difficult issues. So as much as it's been a challenge, there's been other opportunities that have arose from that challenge. And I, I'm really proud of the way our guys have come through it. And now the, 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 uh, the challenge will be, how do we continue taking the best things of the crisis and using those to be better going forward? 
you know, um, most people, you know, the general public will tune in to, you know, watch a college football game or a college basketball game. And they just see that, you know, that subset of, you know, of the athletic department. But when you get a chance to work in an athletic department, what you really, what, what you realize is it's a leadership laboratory. Okay. And, and so there's, there's leadership, obviously, from the administration uh, perspective, you know, your perspective, but then there's the, the leaders from, you know, from coaches and, and, and assistant coaches. And then there's leadership being developed, uh, you know, within the student athletes as they, you know, rise to levels of being captains and things like that. Uh, but that's something that I don't think uh, most people understand. Uh, is that they're not cognizant of is that the whole thing is really generated to develop leaders within the organization, uh, not only within the organization, but for themselves. And then most importantly for other people. And then when they go out, you know, and, and graduate and they have this tremendous uh, student athlete experience behind them, that's really, that's, that's, that's the takeaway. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that, that's what they get to, you know, to take away with them. Uh, as they enter the workforce. Yeah, that's so true. And it, and it comes from your head coach. You know how much time everyone spends with the head coach. And we have a great, you know, we have 28 teams here. We have 21 head coaches leading those teams. And it, it's one of the most um, sharing groups I've ever been around. They, they get together on a regular basis. They have a book club. They talk about other issues that they're facing. And they communicate with each other, talking about the skills that they're trying to develop. And, you know, Coach, Coach Dean Smith was probably the one that really got the whole thing going. Roy brought it along. Now we have Mac Brown. We've got um, Anson Dorrance. And so we have eight of our 21 head coaches have won national championships. And so that camaraderie and that, that sense of community that they have built and sharing of ideas and recruiting, so many of our recruits come to campus and visit with the other coaches because there's a commonality in what they do and their leadership skills. And then the assistant coaches see that. And then the student athletes see that the administrators see it. So, you know, we have a, uh, our, we've done a couple of strategic plans, which are boring in everybody's mind, but I tell you, it has guided us incredibly well. And the strategic, the strategic plan we use today is titled together. We win. It's not about Roy Williams. It's not about, it's about all of us because if the, if the facilities aren't right, if the people don't treat them well, we're not going to get the recruit. So it's not that, Mac lost the recruit. It's we lost the recruit. We won the game. And so how do you build that sense of community? And I think our coaches do a great job all the way from their responsibility all the way through to the student athlete. You know, that, that, you know, community uh, environment, you know, that, that, that's, that you helped build at, at Carolina. I remember when my, uh, my wife is a, uh, is a Kenyan Flagler and business school grad. That's when she got her MBA. And at that time, I, uh, I, I uh, volunteered coach with Dennis Craddock at, you know, on the track and field team. And I got to meet, you know, several of the other coaches. And one of the things I, I do, do recall is that every head coach, I think every assistant coach also, had a, uh, a, a basically a business card on their desk, but it wasn't their business card. It said, it's amazing how much you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit. Okay, and I think that either came from Coach Smith or uh, one of your predecessors, John Swaffer. I'm not sure which one, uh, but 
they wouldn't care who got the credit for it just because of the the nature of the uh, of the uh, of the, uh, of the slogan you know and i think that's you know that that community so so let's talk about that a little bit tell me a little bit how leaders come together to collaborate well you know it started with our leadership academy so there was a, a, time, a period of time here about 15 years ago or so where some of the teams are struggling and they're saying, gosh, you know, we, we just we had a bad year because we didn't have any leaders. And, and, it, and so the, the idea kind of was circulated with our coach and said, well, why are we waiting for leaders to appear? Why don't we try to instill leadership and, and pull it out of our younger students so that by the time they become seniors, we're not looking and saying, oh, geez, this is a bad class. If it's a bad class, it's because we haven't developed them as freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. So, so the Leadership Academy was, was launched, and I think we were maybe one of the first in the country to really have a department-wide Leadership Academy. And that led actually to a Leadership Academy for our coaches. And so in, in addition to those student-athletes being a part of it, many of the coaches were teaching in the Leadership Academy. And so then as they were developing their own uh, more intentional leadership style and, and talking about it, they then brought that back to themselves as coaches. So, hey, you know, hey, Coach Fox, I heard you were doing this for the student athletes. Would you mind sharing some of those thoughts with the rest of us or with the assistant coaches? So we thought that that was really the best way to, to bring this along is for sharing best practices. And then occasionally we bring in other people, whether it's faculty members across campus, business executives, military folks, bring them in to share their experiences so we could build our own academy for, uh, for future leaders. So it's worked very, very well. We tweaked it a few, few years ago. We've worked with um, Jeff Jansen early. We worked with the Center for Creative Leadership. So we have a number of different groups that are trying to continue to change it because the, the world is changing. And as we develop, and I mentioned the strategic plan, we had a faculty member in our School of Business and Keenan Flagler, who's the one that walked us through the strategic planning process. And he said, you know, it's really like walking up a down escalator. If you stand still, you're going to be down at the bottom. So you can always make that effort to continue to rise. You may or may not get there because the world is changing. The landscape is changing, but you have to get better. Otherwise, you're going to be irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Yeah, I thought it was a great analogy. I, I, I think of it all the time because if you just stand still, you're, just, you're going downhill. Right. So what, what do you see as the primary leadership responsibility, either for yourself or for your coaches or for your, you know, the, the, the student athletes who represent the, your, those teams as, as captains? You know, I think there's there's a couple. One is I think you have to be totally locked in on what your values are and you have to be able to define those and know what they are. But then I think that the biggest skill then, one, and you have to know them and you have to live them and you have to be able to and willing to communicate them because I do think communication is the greatest skill. So, our, and again, back to the strategic plan, which we use, and I mentioned the thing about enhancing the educational experience. We modified a little bit here at Carolina. We say we educate and inspire through athletics and we only have four values that support that. We have responsibility, which is do what's right. We have innovation find a better way. We have service, put others first, and excellence. We want to be excellent in everything that we do. Those are our four values. We communicate that all the time. And as I said, during this pandemic, our communication was totally ramped up. 
we had weekly calls with our staff to give them an idea of what we, what we think is going on with the disease, what we think is going on financially, what's going on with our teams, how do we return to campus, how do we play. So our communication got really ramped up, but we didn't lose sight of what our values were. And our values were exactly what those four that I just mentioned. And when I think about what's most important in college athletics in general, it, it's what we do. It's, it's providing that education, providing maximum number of opportunities to get it, give kids choices, and then financially figure out a way to make it work. How do you pay for it? Yeah, and I, I just think the, the values component is overlooked because uh, what, what most people don't understand is that behaviors, how people act, are derived from, from values. And so you get a much more consistent behavior pattern among not just your leaders, but everybody else when those values are, are talked about and then modeled. Yeah, and they have to be aligned because a lot of people talk about the values and say, you know, hey, broad-based program is really important. And then they cut a sport. Well, it's not as important as something else because you cut the sport. So you have to be consistent. You have to live the values you're talking about. Otherwise you've got no credibility. So fundamentally it's the values and then it's the living them and communicating about them. And uh, it's the signing, all the things that you just mentioned, you know, you, you have to see it every day. And I love that expression about people saying, I cannot hear what you're, I can't hear what you're saying because I'm too busy watching what you're doing, you know, and, and that's, it's true. Yeah. yeah. So what advice would you give to other leaders regarding leadership effectiveness? Be, be consistent. With, with who you are. Uh, one, number one, be who you are. I mean, commit to your own values and, and do that because people, people know who you are every single day. And I do think leaders have to be positive. They have to be enthusiastic and they have to learn and grow. And we've talked about that as a department, that our teams don't get better if the coaches don't get better. Our department doesn't get better if I don't get better. If I think everything I've learned is enough for today's environment, I'm done. We're done. We all have to continue to grow and to learn and to develop. So that lifelong learning, that is the most important thing that I think any leader has to think about. The other one, and there's so many different great leadership principles and things that I've learned from other folks, but I remember listening to uh, one of Colin Powell's talks and he talked about trying to make decisions because some people want all the information before they make a decision. Other people are ready, fire, aim. And so you've got to be somewhere in between. But he was talking about you need to gather about 70% of the information and then make a decision because people are waiting on you. The other thing that he talked about, and it's the hardest one to practice, is you have to be disciplined enough to really let the great leaders and great people grow. And if people aren't pulling their weight, you've got to let them go. So you've got to be in that position where you're going to make the organization better by promoting the leaders. And then it's, it is impactful, but other times you got to let people go the ones that aren't pulling their weight. And that becomes probably the challenge as the AD. Well, well let me ask you, cause there's, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the benefits, you know, of effective leadership, but what have you seen as some of the negative consequences of ineffective leadership? Ineffective leadership, I, th I think you get uh, too loyal a person um, as opposed to really the production of the individual. And I think when that happens, the, the leader, they lose confidence in you and your ability to make hard decisions. 
And I tell you, I, I hired um, Hubert Davis and uh, Hubert, it's just in the last uh, month and he had no head coaching experience. And my biggest question was whether or not he could make some difficult decisions. And my goodness, he's made some really tough choices uh, in his first month on the job, which has convinced me he's going to be very successful as a head coach. Um, but, you know, until you've done it, it's really hard to, to point to something and say, oh, yeah, here's what I did. But I tell you, a guy like that, everyone's underestimated everything he's done his whole life. I mean, he talked about it when we, you know, we were interviewing him. You know, Coach Smith didn't offer him a scholarship because he didn't think he was quite good enough and offered two or three other places for him to go. And Hubert's response was, if you don't offer me a scholarship, you'll never know. And two days later, he offered him a scholarship. And two years later, he's starting. And 12 years later, he's finishing up his MBA career. So, <laughs> so he was one of those guys that just continued to grow and develop. And I, I think he'll do the exact same as a head coach. And, and, and those, there's stories like that. I mean, Mac Brown being back, you know, Mac has been fantastic, great communicators. And it's, there's an, in, I mean, these guys have a burning desire to be successful and to pass on what they've learned to their students. And I just love watching the interaction between our coaches and our student athletes. Yeah, that's great. That's, yeah, and, and the benefits that the, you know, that the student athletes receive are just, uh, there's, there's uh, latent effects. And uh, many student athletes recognize the benefits while they're there in just after they left and they talk about the great experience, but it's 10, 20, 30 years later, how that experience shaped them through the people that led them. Absolutely. Mac has, uh, we have eight members of the, uh, eight members of our staff played for Mac when he was here the first time. Mm -hmm. And the way they communicate, the way they lead, the way they live their lives are all reflective of the lessons they learned when he was coaching. And so now when he, it, it plugs right back in and it's, it's seamless. The same is true in our basketball program, you know, between um, Dean Smith, Bill Guthridge, Matt Doherty, Hubert Davis, and we're, we've got 60 years of continuous values of how you run a program, how you learn, how you grow, how you develop. And um, I mean, I think that's one of the most special things about this place. Anson's been here 40. Two years ago, our fencing coach retired after 52 years leading our fencing program. I mean, it is a place where, and Jenny Levy's won two national championships in women's, uh, women's lacrosse, been here 25, Karen Shelton, 30, nine national championships. I mean, there's a fundamental principle of enduring values that work. And that's what we're trying to teach all of our kids. You know, when I, uh, when I played at Delaware and when I coached at Delaware, every assistant coach played for Tubby in some way, as either as a when Tubby was an assistant or when Tubby was a head coach. And so, as far as you know, making things efficient, as far as how things work and how things and how we do things around here, the culture, you know, it's just seamless. So, yeah. Yeah, and and that's what uh, uh, Casey Keeler, my one of my teammates from Delaware, former Delaware head coach, just won a, uh, a national championship at Sam Houston State uh, in the FCS level. And I texted him the next day. I said, "Culture wins championships." And he yeah. says, "You're He says, "You're yeah. absolutely right." Yeah, you know, there's some of those guys. We were going on our strategic planning. They said, "Culture eats strategy for lunch." There's true, but you have to have both. I mean, if you don't have a strategy or a plan of where you want to go, 
you can't get there, but the culture is everything. And that's your people. So as I was saying, you got to hire the best, you got to promote the best, the hardest workers, the best workers. And if somebody's not pulling their weight, then you're going to have to make a tough choice and say, I'm sorry, it's not working. And 99% of the time you make that, they understand it. They get it because they didn't feel like they were meeting the, uh, the standard. And what's, I think what makes, uh, you know, your athletic department unique, not just among athletic departments, but within, you know, the, the just the business community is that you're developing those leaders right from the bottom up as soon as they walk onto campus. And so you're, you know, you're, you're strengthening that culture and you're reinforcing that culture, you know, right from the very start. Yeah. And it's tough, you know, and that's what our coaches look for in recruiting. You know, you try to find the right student that's going to fit your culture, your program. And I tell you that there's a, we've got our best coaches walk away from talent that doesn't have the character that they're looking for for the program. And it's, it's hard for coaches to do that, quite frankly, because if you take somebody that has not such great character and you're able to bring them along and they end up being okay, at some point you start thinking, well, I'm good at this. I can bring people along. But if you do too much of it, you've got a problem. And it's better to walk away from talent that has a bad character flaw. Take somebody that's a little bit less talented, but has more grit, determination, and a better character. You're going to win long-term doing that more often. You know, I recently read an article about Anson Torrance, your women's soccer coach. And I got to, you know, uh, meet him and get to know him a little bit when I was, when I was there. And I was very impressed with him. But in this article, he talked about how, you know, how Carolina women's soccer gets out recruited by six or seven teams every year. It's really about the culture. Yeah. So uh, I've spent a lot of time with him. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I spent a lot of time with Anson in the last couple of weeks. It's been phenomenal. I mean, he's got his uh, Champions Almanac. I've been reading that. He had me read uh, This is Water, a commencement address. It was absolutely fantastic. He, uh, another one, uh, a book by uh, David Brooks, and he, he is a voracious reader, and he's just such a smart guy, and he, he wants to, to hear both ends of any political spectrum or any other issue, because that helps him learn and grow, and that's why I think he has such a great culture on his team, and for a guy who had, we had, we built a new soccer stadium in the last uh, couple of years, but he won 22 national championships, we didn't have a restroom. We didn't have a concession stand in the stadium. And he always told the kids that that was an advantage because everybody else has all this other stuff. We're, we're better, stronger, tougher because we don't have that stuff and we don't need it. He's yeah. been phenomenal. Yeah, me, me to him did pretty well with that. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> so tell me, who are, you, yeah, who are your uh, leadership role models and what, what did you learn from them? Well, I, I try to, to read an awful lot, but I have worked for so many great people. Uh, I mentioned at the outset, you know, I started in the Alumni Association. I worked for a guy named Chuck Lennon. Chuck was absolutely fantastic. People first guy. Chuck always said, people don't interrupt our business. They are our business. So no matter what you're doing, if somebody walks in your office, put it down and, and tend to the person that's right there. And then I switched over to the athletic department and worked for Gene Corrigan, probably, the, you know, I think the greatest athletic director and, and person in college athletics because it's such a great balance of this athletic ambition, but knowing what the educational mission is and how you go about doing that. And then I worked for uh, a guy named Dick Rosenthal. Dick was a, a former banker, played basketball at Notre Dame. He, he really helped us build the financial infrastructure to support our programs and to really be thoughtful in how we did that. 
Then a guy named Mike Wadsworth came in. Mike was the Canadian ambassador to Ireland. Opened my eyes up to the world and how all that sport works together. Fantastic individual. Then Kevin White came. I worked for Kevin. I worked for presidents at Ball State and Tulsa and now North Carolina. So every experience I've had, the people I've worked for have been tremendous in their own way. And I've learned greatly from all of them. Um, but I still have to do things that fit my personality and my style. Um, but, but again, as I said at the outset, too public, too private, too national, too regional. There's two things in common with all of them, though. Every one of these athletic departments, none of us win enough and we never have enough money. If I could just solve those two problems, I'd be golden. <laughs> yeah. Well, those, uh, those issues we never resolve. It's part of the fun though, right? So um, let, let me ask you, how do you relax or how do you celebrate? Oh, I, I love sports. I love going to games. I like to play games. And the other, one of the other things, the great things that happened over the pandemic is we started playing a lot of pickleball. We have about 20 coaches and students or staff playing pickleball on Wednesdays and Saturdays. It's been fantastic. So it's a great way to bring people together to celebrate. It's, it's competitive, but it's fun and enjoyable. I still do that. I still like to read, still like to travel, do all that stuff. But any competition is what I like doing. I'll tell you, pickleball has just exploded. They're tearing up tennis courts and then putting down uh, pickleball, pickleball courts. I'm all in favor of it as well. All right, so uh, how can people contact you, Bubba? Any way they want. My All my information, I'm at a public, we're at the oldest public university in the country. All my information is on the website. I've always wanted people to um, be able to reach me. I, I spend all, all my time at games talking to people. And so there's my phone numbers on the website, my email on the website. If people want to get a hold of me, be happy to talk to them or communicate via email. Um, not great on email. It takes me a while to get back to people, but I, I, I do get back to them at some point. Okay. Well, I certainly appreciate you being here. And I've had the privilege of uh, uh, being, whether, uh, being a student athlete or being a coach uh, or a consultant in athletic departments. Uh, Dave Nelson at the University of Delaware, uh, Dick Schultz at the University of Virginia, Bob Frederick at the University of Kansas. And they were just, you know, they set the tone. And Bubba, I see you uh, in the same in the same manner as those, you know, three great people. And what you do for uh, the young people and what you do for college athletics is uh, is really just a uh, a tremendous thing. You know, not just for your alumni, but you know, basically for the for the, for, the, for the community that that you serve totally. So I want to thank you for being here. Well, thank you. Enjoy doing it. It's an honor to uh, to be in college athletics. I, I love it. And, you know, we have uh, Bob Frederick's son, uh, Brad, is on our basketball staff. And Roy Williams tells me all the time that Bob Frederick's the finest gentleman he's ever met. Yeah, he was. He was. So, all right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. This has been uh, The X Factor. I'm Dr. Stephen Long, and we'll see you again next time.